Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. And we're back for part two of episode one with Andrew Molnar. That's a good point you bring up, you know, with urban development, right? I mean, you're dealing with infrastructure that's older. Right, it's not a clean slate like probably dealt with up at Westfield. Oh right? yeah, well that's not a clean slate. It's important. <laughs> no, I'm but, building all the new infrastructure. <laughs> right, that but is a whole new monster. You're not contending with old city sewer. You're not Correct. dealing with se- setback changes because zoning has changed since the plant city was originally planned. I have a brick sewer pipe. Right, brick in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Brick. Right. Built by hand, basically. Right. You got, the, dug you got the, the keystone break in there somewhere. Right. I mean, it, obviously we're removing that, but it's like at one point that was normal. Right. Yeah. 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 Especially in old, old town like Pittsburgh. Right. And, and Cleveland was the same way. Obviously I grew up there, but I was born in Pittsburgh like you. Go Steelers. We, we'll, go, we'll go Brown. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you know, I think that's the interesting thing. And even in Indianapolis, right? I mean, there's there's old infrastructure. The buildings are old. The infrastructure is old. And frankly, you know, that all needs to be replaced. And some people forget about how much cost that really impacts. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, getting the community support to around a lot of these a lot of times they're framed up as handouts to these rich, greedy developers. But in reality, most people don't understand the pro forma. And in my opinion, right now, the pro formas are getting squeezed harder Absolutely. than they've ever gotten squeezed in, in the last 10 years of a cycle because cost of debt, inflation have way outpaced where market rents in a lot of these Midwest markets can be, right? Right. And you know, another part is the lender side of things. It's yeah. lenders are stress testing. You know, we're in a recession. Whether they're scared we of their shadow. So they're scared of everything. So now... But they have to lend to make money too. So, but they're stress testing. Okay, where we're at today, and where we're going to close the deal. But we're going to add a hundred basis points or one full percent for for those who that don't understand yeah, right. basis points. So, if markets let's say it's seven percent, they're going to stress test that eight percent. Well, now I need also a debt coverage ratio right. of one point two to one point two five, and you're going to stress test it at a, a one full percent higher. Well, again, performer busts. Where are we? What point are we going to get deals? We're going to start seeing either costs have to come down, which I don't see that happening. Right. And I even laughed about this. It's you know we are finally starting to see it, and we had the unfortunate Hurricane Ian come in, and all the housing materials are now going to rebuild, which you know that community really needs so badly. But think about the only thing that we're benefiting from it up in like call it Indianapolis or the Midwest is labor because the labor isn't being done. So now it's going to shift to call it commercial versus residential because they're not building as many houses. Right. Right. But the lumber package is now just instead of shipping it to Indianapolis or Westfield, they're shipping the lumber package to Florida, Fort Myers. They're shipping the asphalt shingles down there. So the materials are still being, they're still in demand. And you know, that means the diesel, the oils, the products to manufacture all that. 
still being demand. So that costs why we're seeing it. We started finally seeing those costs go down. We're going to start going back up. I mean, concrete is a crazy issue right now. I never thought sure. there's three ingredients that go into right. to cement, right? Into concrete, three right, ingredients right. of which we can't get aggregate and we can't get cement. So only thing we got is water. And now you're, we're seeing issues and delays on, you know, building these industrial buildings because we can't get enough concrete. Mm-hmm. So and that, it, I mean, you probably have that, that issue with yeah. your, some of your tenants about, Hey, do you have your slab board? That's the biggest thing, right? Do you have your materials? And, and a lot of developers are hoarding materials, especially the larger ones where they can control the supply chain more, where they have enough projects in their pipeline to where, okay, if this one doesn't happen or we have to delay this one for some reason, or the market changes, I can shift it to this other project. And we're seeing that almost advertised where they're saying, Hey, guess what? Our guys, here's a photo. We have all the roof. We got everything already. We got more dock packages than you'll ever need. And to tenants, honestly, for a lot of them that need it by a certain date, that's kind of like music to their ears. And a lot of times they're saying, okay, I'll pay a little more in rent for security. Right. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit to some extent. Now they're not just immediately rolling over, but they're generally speaking, they're going, all right, I trust this entity, right? They're kind of qualifying the developer. And if they have the right strategy in place to manage supply chain, it matters, right? Because missing that window, rent is, you know, a fraction of an overall, it's three to 5% of their, you know, operating costs. I, I, that number dumbfounds me. It's three so to 5%. And then we argue over pennies, correct? nickels. Well, and the reality is it's between the brokers and the landlord and the developer. Brokers should the broker. want it. They get paid more. Yeah, but, you know, that's, that's how we keep it honest, right? You know, we got we to gotta play the game, right? I, I get and it. That's but how it the works. question comes down to is, is how much are the brokers keeping up with actual industry knowledge, too? That's because the they don't know the pro forma. And right now they're saying, well, that deal was done a dollar cheaper last year. Well, doesn't guess matter. what? My rates were at 4%. Now I'm at basically being stressed. That's that 8%. My interest rates you know, that's a dollar more I need. It's not going to my pocket. Right. It's going to the bank. Don't ask. And the bank's not taking it. The bank's giving it to the Fed. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing that we're seeing right now. And the one thing we warn clients right now is, you know, especially for industrial, like looking at rear rear facing comps is a dangerous game because the mark, especially since there's such low vacancy and, and there's a story here that I don't think has been told enough. Right. So I'll take Pittsburgh and Cleveland as two examples, right? Real quick, because I know those stats really well. Average age of a warehouse built in Pittsburgh and Cleveland is roughly about the same age. It was built in 1962. Wow. 1962, right? That's the year my mother was born. (laughs) She's going to love that. Uh, That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) She might listen to this, maybe not. I don't know. The first one. She may, she may have gotten my lost dad 20 minutes ago. Listen. The first one she might. My dad will listen. My mom will say she listened. Mom, sorry if you hear this. Anyway, <laughs> but you think about that, right? It was built with 14 foot clear height and we're seeing new buildings coming out at 40 feet now. Yep. We're seeing, you know, it was dock packages in cities and you know, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, you don't see as much here in Indianapolis, but the old industrial old where you had these like basically loading platforms. Oh yeah. Right. You know, with the brick building and then you have the covered, they're just covered. covered. That's it. That's all it was. Right. And it was really like a couple columns outside in a slab of concrete. (laughs) Yeah. Right. There was, and there was brick buildings and the column spacing was wonky at best. (laughs) Right. And it was drafty and 
you know, it was kind of like those old timey movies, right? Where they're bootlegging liquor and out of Atlantic city or whatever, but really cool project in Pittsburgh converted one into a retail center. Yeah. That'd be great. I mean, now it'd be, you know, think about that's your pedestrian corridor Mm -hmm. and outdoor space. Just a really cool concept in our warehouse district. Right. And they're really cool. So sorry, got you on the topic there. But that's the reality. So that was the average age of the inventory in a lot of these markets. And all of a sudden, right, functional obsolescence. And that's why we see so much new. And tenants go, why isn't there a lot of existing buildings around? Well, I'm like, guys, until like the 90s, these buildings weren't being built very uniformly across the country. And even then, it was only in key markets. And now we're starting to see a lot more uniformity because we live in a more globalized world. And that's also the reason why there's, there's, there's A, a shortage of it, but then B, functionally, the needs of users in industrial have dramatically changed. Oh, yeah. Right? They've gotten a lot more sophisticated. Um, you know, there's still just the guys that rack and stack, and that's it. But automation is becoming critical. Carousels, auto store systems – other factors which are increasing the need for power, which are changing the need of truck flow, robots. Um, those are all real things. And, and I think that's why we're seeing that dynamic. But it, you're right. At the same time, it's as an advisor, we have to explain to our clients those dynamics in the market and what's going on. And quite frankly, not calling out any names, I think there's a lot of brokers that don't fully understand how the capital markets tie into leasing that tie into tenant demand that tie into the broader overall economy, because it's, it's actually quite complicated. I mean, and think of it this, how many brokers do you know to how to put a performer together? <laughs> Not many. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it's like, here's the numbers, right? It's a numbers game. Yeah, it is hundred percent. You know, it's a developer is just a glorified manager. Correct. He's just managing an architect, an engineer, land use attorney, managing a broker to, you know, and at a construction company and a bank. Right. And, you know, hope, maybe a equity broker if he needs to raise outside capital. And so then it's just a matter of managing all these pieces and putting all the puzzles pieces together to make it work. Right. And one of those goes skew, the whole project falls apart. And we're living in a world where three or four of those factors are moving constantly at the same time. I mean, every month, daily, daily. Right. And that, didn't exist in our world, right? I think that's one thing that, you know, when people watch CNBC or Bloomberg or, you know, you name the financial news source, those markets are priced daily, right? You know, stock price of Google, that's priced daily, right? Mark to market. Commercial real estate really isn't a daily mark to market game Mm -hmm. or even a monthly mark to market game, right? Most hold periods are seven or 10 years. Or some merchants are out there doing, you know, three. And that's right. where I think we're going to see a lot of crazy things happen in the next 24 months. Right. Cause that's those exactly who don't right. have the hold power. Yeah. And you're just getting pinched in this, this part of the cycle. Cap rates have, you know, blown out costs are up interest rates are up. You know, they come to refinance. What's going to happen. Mm. Valuation on that building isn't, you know, three cap anymore, three and a half cap. So there goes your 200 basis point spread. Yeah. And just so, you know, the audience knows that's the spread between, you know, the, basically the cost of the debt and, you know, kind of, we'll call it, and Andrew, you can correct me, you you're, you might have a better word for it, but essentially how much yield the tenant is paying. The, right. The so landlord. it's a return on it's your return. It's your coupon. Essentially. It's, yeah. It's return on cost. Right. That's the way we look at it. Right. So I look at basically, you know, how much rent you're getting and how much does it cost to build that building? Mm-hmm. So there's my development yield. Yep. And then I have a cap rate, which is what capitalization rate, which is yep. what an investor was willing to t- 
take and buy the asset on at that coupon rate. Right. Right. So, you know, I look at that spread between those two numbers and I think a lot of developers do that, you know, cause you have to, you're in it to make money. So if the cap rate goes up, then I lose that spread. If my costs go up, my development yield goes down. Right. And so if my development yields going down, my cap rates are going up. We're blowing out that spread really yeah. quickly. It's and evaporating. You're, and you're not and, and debt is part of that, that total cost. Right. Yeah. There's no, I mean, that's how, and that's the one unique thing about real estate is it's based on long-term leverage. Right. Cause if, you, if I can log in at three and a half percent, I can give you a lower rent. And this is why I never really understood why, you know, users don't take advantage of it more so because they can negotiate better deals Correct. because I can mitigate risk exposure on the front end mm-hmm. and I can get locked in better rates, which means I can pass that cost savings on to the user. Correct. Now some user, some developers try to get, Don't. that's, that's, that's where that's the I hate the term developer right. because then you get the greedy people who just make it, let's all look bad. Right. That's true. That's true. Well, did you have a chance? I know I sent you that podcast um, from Barry Ritholtz uh, on Bloomberg about from Michael Levy, who was, he's the CEO of Crow, uh, Trammell Crow. Mm-hmm. And it was really fascinating because he talked about the history of Trammell Crow, which I didn't really know. I knew the name, but they were really one of the first national developers in the 50s and 60s. And one thing that was really fascinating about that, listening to that conversation. So Michael was a banker at Morgan Stanley, worked in real estate doing M&A and debt in the 90s, and then eventually got hooked up with the Crow family, kind of took over for Harlan Crow. And what was interesting is he was talking about the dynamic in the 50s and 60s. A lot of times banks were lending and it was, it was more commonplace to do above 100% loan to value. Oh, I've, my dad's told me these stories. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I was thought about your <laughs> dad, old right? School stories. I call Lou Molnar for the, for our audience is an OG in the original gangster in, in real estate investing, right. In the modern era. Right. I mean, your dad started in the seventies, right? Most, and so, I mean, 18% interest rates in 18% interest rates, but that's really, I think at least, and this is my perspective, that's kind of where modern real estate investment I mean, there was people doing it like Crow, Crow, uh, Trammell Crow, but I think we saw through the eighties, a more expansion of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And then in the nineties and a more maturation, right. Because you got more, inst- people got more institutional. It got a little more sophisticated, more national, more strategic over that period of time. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Lou has great stories about what lending was like in that environment and how different it is than today, because, what are we talking? 65 to 75% loan to value mm-hmm. is a general range, maybe 80% on industrial or depends a, on a what relationship, you're getting, though. right? What you're getting. Right. Yeah. And, and they, and they were talking about doing 120% loan to value back then. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's nuts, right? Cause you have zero cash in. Right? That's where you almost wonder, like we've, become so efficient and become so institutionalized that does the small guy have a chance anymore? And that's my concern. So the small guy gets squeezed out. Right. Because everybody wants to become so institutionalized that, you know, the bank wants it this way. So unless you can come with 40% equity to the table, you're not going to get that. Right. Or we want this kind of guarantee. So unless you have that kind of deep pockets or you can't guarantee it. Or, you know, X, Y, and Z that where does the, you know, does a smaller mom and pop shop truly have a chance anymore? 
where, cause you can't get 110% financing. Right. So where, you know, that's always a concern. I always keep in the back of my mind. I mean, obviously there's always different size products. So, you know, you can go out sure. and buy a, um, a rental home, right? That's always the first good start for uh, someone to start at. Um, but realistically, where, do, unless you're syndicating, where do you, as a small guy make it? Yeah, that's a good question. And what was the biggest difference kind of speaking on your experience between your time at Thompson, which I would consider more institutional mm-hmm. and obviously how you guys look at things at MR3, you know, what's the biggest, and I, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. Obviously there's different very perspectives, di- very right? Different Capital structure is different. Absolutely. Stakeholders are different. So naturally you look at things differently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think hold period okay. is the easiest answer. Uh, Thompson thrift. It was true merchant build, sell. That's it. Build our model. That's build. their model. Get the return. Keep it going. It's a machine. Replace that capital. Get it back out. Now a lot of that is also driven also because they raise outside funds. Right. So they have to have a return to their investors. So the faster you can get the product sold, the faster you can get a higher return, and then a waterfall, which is you know the better the performance of that asset that you sell. The developer gets to keep more because the asset, the, the investor says, okay, we'll take 9% return. This is what we have to give, but then we'll take it to a 12% or a 15 or an 18 or a 20. So as that waterfall steps four up, the developer gets a bigger piece of, of the profit on the back end. So, you know, the faster you can get money back to your investor, the higher your IRR, your internal rate of return. And so that's a big piece of it. So you're constantly having to develop. Now on our side, we're a family company, third generation real estate. So started with my grandfather, sold insurance, you know, bought farms with his insurance money, became a gentleman's farmer after World War II. We became the first suburban, you know, basically home builders of, of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how we started as a company. And then my dad grew it to where it kind of is today. We're holders. Yeah. We let, you know, we're, you know, we want that coupon. We want that because if builds the wealth, economy right? goes, well, it builds wealth. Yes. And, and, but then what happens when the economy stops building? That's always a concern, right? You have to build. And, you know, you saw a lot in OA, you got these big development companies that are just coming in on their private planes. And we, we use this right. joke quite a bit. You come in on your big, shiny, you know, the G6 or whatever. Right. And, <laughs> Economy, you know, wait, oh, there goes the plane. You know, yeah. you, you, you just can't have that anymore. But, you know, you kind of like, wait, you know, we just drive our plain old Cadillac, you know, you know, because that apartment's still cash pumping cash. Right. And so it pays a debt. And every year gets that 2% bumps, 3% bumps, or whatever it is. Some years you maybe have to hold a little net more and try to get a little more efficient on the operating side. Um, and then, you know, you got the years where you're seeing. 7% growth. Right. So right. I think for us, it's, you know, we're using family capital. Right. Uh, so it's a lot different. It's a slower growth. Sure. Um, you know, we're it's more cautious, probably. It's more cautious. Uh, you know, my, my board meetings are my brothers and my dad. <laughs> and I. Uh, so it's, a you know, like I said, they're goods, bads, and difference, you know, and we got very much different uh, personalities. My oldest is a CPA. And you know what a CPA stands for, right? Yeah. Certified pain in the ass. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I think some people call it cert, uh, certified public accountant, but you know, I, I like my, my saying a little yeah. bit better. <laughs> and then there's me who's like, you know, I mean, I'm cautious, mitigate risk, but I'm willing to take more risk because that's natural side of 
kind of more on the development. You have to be a risk taker. So, you know, we're much oil and water when it comes to kind of our thoughts, but it's good because it balances us. Right. And then uh, my middle brother, he came from the banking investment banking right. world. So right. he, he was with Cornell, ran Cornell, have a Cornell's endowment and then with JP Morgan. And, and now he's with us doing real estate. So it's just a totally different perspective from that side. Oh, sure. Too. Sure. So it's good. And then my dad's done this, you know, like you right. said, uh, oh, gee. I think, he, you know, as like, <laughs> real life succession, I mean, he built his first apartment building when he was like 20. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't I like, I hear that a lot and, and I always it laugh yeah. and I go, so then yeah. I'm like, what character? Um, yeah. I don't know if I want so any of this. Ignorance is bliss. And now that I've seen the whole show, <laughs> I'm like, Ooh, that, that, that. <laughs> that's great though. I mean, I think, you know, and that's the dynamic that, you know, we always kind of wonder about, right. Is, you know, what point do we see certain, you know, forces kind of force some developers out, kind of reset the table, because I think the thing that stops whatever party we want to talk about, right. Cause we could talk about industrial and it's run up multifamily and it's run up. Right. And it, you know, there's a lot of examples, right. In the Southeast, I saw something on LinkedIn recently it talked about, a C C class apartment uh, community traded three times in the last three years and it's quadrupled in value. But will it? That's, That's where right. I'm concerned about That's these right. cap rates. That's right. That's right. And and so, you know, it's interesting because you guys have a long-term perspective on that and you're more cautious and you can make those moves to adjust. But if you're a merchant developer, right, coming in on the plane, developing something and then getting out of Dodge as quickly as possible, it's, you know, those are the guys that hold in the bag at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Right. You know, and so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because my biggest thing, and, and I think, you know, my background, Andrews is originally from finance, kind of mm-hmm. more like your brother, um, slightly different tranche of that world. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a little more seedier. Your brother's background is much more polished uh, <laughs> than mine that. working at, you know, different financial institutions, but really fixed income background, which to be honest with you, as you know, and I joke about this, it hasn't been sexy to be in fixed income in since 08, right? I mean, interest rates have been zero. <laughs> Not very interesting to talk about bonds when they're three or 4% coupons. But right? I think that's what's going to hold asset, right. some of our assets. I think because users still want the teacher's pension fund. You know, they need that Correct. stability. So, I, you know, they're okay taking a longer approach than, okay, yeah, can we? And I think that will help keep cap rates down, but they'll just be less buyers. Yeah. Right. And we're already seeing that. Right. I think I, I almost I forgot to forward to you from our head of capital markets year over year volumes. So office was down 52 percent. No surprise. Shock. Retail down 43 percent. Uh, industrial down 34 percent. Just sale volumes. Right. And, and how much of that is product availability? Though? That's a big part of it. Right. I think that's a big part of it. I think office in general is we are seeing mark to market. Those assets continue to go down in price because of interest rates because of inflation, because of acquiring tenants, there's fewer of them and they cost more to acquire because you know, the office game as well as I do, it's built around tenant improvement allowance, right? How much money is the landlord going to give the tenant to build out their space to their likings? Mm -hmm. And the biggest frustration for landlords right now is they said, Hey, I did a deal in 2017 for this tenant. They're going remote working from home. I'm going to relet the space and then, okay, I bring tenant a along company a to lease the space. And they go, great. We love this building. We love the asset, but we want to redo this space. And the landlord goes, but that fit out's only five years old. Guess what? A lot's changed in five years. 
the way people are using this office is totally different. And every company is different now. Now think of it this way, right? So now you want, it was $50 a square foot. I want 70. I want 70, right? So now oh, yeah, you haven't so- even paid off that last 50 because you basically don't make it until the end of the lease. Hopefully actually more on the renewal than anything. You're taking your developer's fee on the front end and then that's basically your only payment. You're paying the bank. Correct. And so you're just hoping that renewal is really what kind of actually makes the profit side. Right. And then on the, on top of it, there's competition. And there's how many other landlords that are in the same situation. And you're borrowing money at 8%. And you, exactly. But you bought the asset. And, and then are you supposed of, to make a spread on that? Because yeah. now I'm basically loaning you money when you could just go borrow the money yourself. Correct. And it's this wacky world. And, and, and you know, it's interesting to see that. So that's the average, we'll call it, call it the average office deal. And then you do see other t- tenants that are, you know, they go lease that new creative class project, right? In Indianapolis, right, there's really only a handful of projects, right? There's Bottleworks, mm-hmm. um, what Samara Road's doing with Stutz, although, yep. you know, they're still in early days there, but they're they're making some progress in a headway. And, um, you know, the Mass Ave Boulder, um, which was done by Stens, mm-hmm. that's a great project. And then, you know, Browning and 16 Tech and that, it's a little bit different, a little farther out, really not downtown. It's its own kind of, kind of deal over there by IUPUI. Um, but you know, there, there is tenant velocity there because they're walking in, they're saying, well, I need 70 bucks. I'll pay more in rent because it's capital is scarce as a tenant. They don't want to invest in their space and they're getting the experience that you talked about, just like in retail, how do we create that draw and that experience? The new, new office world is doing that as well too. How do you integrate entertainment? How do you integrate hotel and hospitality? How do you integrate residential into the same format, right? And I think, you know, I think a lot of developers, especially in the Midwest, need to take some notes from bigger cities. Um, you know, go look at 50 Hudson Yards. That, that's a big one if you're going to go right, running out I there. know, that's going right to the top. Yeah. But Let's go to the cream of the crop. That's the cream of the crop, right? And, and that is, you know, and to say something like that could, you would format it just like that in Columbus, Ohio, and you'd be wildly successful, it'd be crazy. Mm-hmm. But what you need to do is take the inspiration from that. Right. And how thoughtful Tishman Spear was when they, because I toured that project in 2017, just as it was getting under construction. Tishman gave a great presentation on it. And the way they thought through everything from infrastructure, like we talked about, right? Because it's built on a rail yard. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know that. Midtown West, Paige, you live in New York for a while. Upper West Side. Yeah. Not cool. (laughs) It's getting cool cooler. It's cool now. Yeah. Midtown West is cool now. Yeah. Right. And you know, you sit there and they thought about schools. They had to build infrastructure from the ground up because it didn't exist. A neighborhood didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of that placemaking where they have residential, they have high end shopping, they have um, public spaces that connect to the rest of the community. And I think that's really something that we're seeing in different scale here in the Midwest and different projects but I think that's that's the saving grace maybe for some of these downtowns and some of these office projects. But it can't just be an office developer. You've got to think like a master developer, right? Well, I think that's where it also goes back to the communities Correct. and planning and zoning. Right. Because they say zoning allows you to do X. Right. Okay, we can do a PUD, but they you know twist and turn and really make it. I mean, my Pittsburgh life science project, right? right. They want to attract life science users. Right. But where are those life science users going to live and work? Right. Okay. We got figured out work, but where do they want to live? Where do they want to play? Right. 
they don't want to come just here to work. They have to have the full experience. So if you're going to bring a Boston company in or, you know, another large life science company, they want that lifestyle. They to and they need that to attract their customer or their employee base. Right. Right. So that's the battle too. It comes down to is, is these communities got to you know, they're still on the 20, 40 year old zoning thought process. Right. Yeah. And so how do you, it starts there too. And then you can kind of start creating, you know, I'm, I'm asking for residential housing to be part of it because you want that live work and it's like pulling teeth. Right. Yeah. If you propose, Hey, we're going to have this many floors, residential, this many floors, life science lab or office or whatever. Well, I'm not even saying integrated into the same right. building because it's really hard to integrate. Well, that's that what product. I was about to say. It is. But in other markets, it's not as crazy. Mm-hmm. In bigger markets in New York, that's not uncommon to see a building that has both right. spaces. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. By floor, because, you know, and that's a lot of it because from a zoning standpoint, they had to be more adaptive because of the value of the residual underlying mm-hmm. land. It's not realistic. Right. But I wonder, you know, I've always wondered why we didn't adopt some of those things. What was the resistance to it? Because why, you know, why wouldn't you, if you wanted to build a 10-story building, why not have five floors as residential? Why not have five floors as commercial? You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I don't understand why there's always been this resistance. You can work around it. You know, um, I think some of it's also, like you said, kind of go back to the infrastructure and understanding sure. how a building works. Well, there's different codes for each type of use. Right. right. But so. also how a building is built, right. right? Let's break it down to the, you HVAC. know, from HVAC is a huge piece that people aren't, no, do not understand. Right. Um, and they have, especially in the life science, need huge air returns and huge ducts. Okay. And, but you also need open space. So right. you need lo- less column spacing. Right. Or larger, I'm sorry, larger column yeah, spacing. Right. So bigger spans. So bigger spans. But then you need big chase space. But then multi world, you actually want a smaller footprint. Because what, think about it apartment, hallway, apartment. That's wall outside wall to outside wall. It's a lot narrower. So then you're going to put residential. If you're going to vertically integrate it, you want it on top. But the huge duck work for the commercial zone has to be on the bottom. So now you have these huge chases going from down and then you've got the users who want to be on the top. So it's how do you integrate? Okay. So then do you start shifting the building where you're a side core right. elevator shafts, right? But, but you don't, then you can't demise them as easily. Right. Ding, 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 ding. So now yeah. we're talking about users and how much space is they're not taking these 25,000, 50,000 right. square foot floor plates right. anymore. We're going to smaller floor plates. So you have to be efficient in how you lay things out so that you can demise it and right. think about the next 40 years. Like That's for right. our project, we're talking about basically having different towers. We're having right. three different towers that are all part of a circling a common outdoor plaza and having that possibility of just the interaction there. Cause you want that, that experience, but you want that ability to interact with somebody else, not just you, your colleagues, but that chance interaction. Yeah. We're create a part of our job is also to force those chance Change. and, 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 and force those chance interactions where, you know, company A, company B bump into each other, a tech company and a real estate guy are working in the same office, but where are they really working? They might be working outside and then they would have never met each other, but they have a better outdoor space. 
and then goes to flight equality and you know right, all, all the things, things that we need to have in the newer facilities better i mean even the older buildings you know hvacs doesn't yeah. you know so that's kind of part of the challenge is, is how do you integrate the, the uses yeah. right and how you mesh them together and, and how do you mesh them create yeah. these chance interactions and, and and so the one biggest part is it's easier for a planner and someone to say i want ground floor retail i want all i want five uses right right but how do you actually design that to work right you know that's an architect problem yeah yeah, (laughs) that's an engineer problem Uh, i'm not the sharpest but it's my job also is to be able to kind of you've seen me i hand sketch a lot of my drawings yeah and kind of say okay here's cut things here's how we do this i'm very hands-on i've changed my whole column layout i actually turned my whole building 90 degrees for my column layout kind of a different thought process. And we were able to, we cut out a dozen columns, changed our construction methods. And so we were able to look at cutting down the time to deliver that building. So instead of a three-year build, it was a two-year build. That's, that's a lot of money. That's meaningful. You know, when you're talking a $200 million asset that's going vertical, think about the interest carry on that. (laughs) Yeah. That alone. Yeah. That year saves you millions. Right. We're not talking pennies. Yeah kind of in wrapping up and this has been a great discussion, Andrew, thank you for being our inaugural guest, but I like to ask a few kind of standard questions. Some, some people listen to other podcasts. They hear some of these similar questions, but I always like to ask these, what are you reading right now? It doesn't have to be business related. It could be just for fun. It could be a magazine, could be something that you really enjoy reading right now. It could be a website. You get your certain news from what is that thing that you're like, can't put down. Uh, that's a great question. It's probably my phone. <laughs> what are you yeah. scrolling? Right? What are you, you know, scrolling? Tell but, me. You know, it's a lot of that. I follow a lot of the brokers and it's actually what I, what I read is what everyone else is posting. I, I'm on those ghosts on LinkedIn. Yeah. I really like so, everything. And I try to like pick and pull a lot. I'm doing a lot of business reading, right? right. It's cause that's where my, what keeps me up at night. You know, I got a Especially lot right now, right now. It's just making sure, you know, we talked about not getting caught holding the bag. Right. On something. Right. So a lot of business reading, a lot of where's the market, where's the fed, what's going on politically. I hate politics. It's probably the worst <laughs> part of my job. It's, you know, I, I'm a switch hitter when it comes to that. <laughs> you gotta, Who am I talking to? What are we working on here? Uh, what market are we in? Yeah, right. um, but you know, a lot of that has huge implications obviously in my career. So uh, what's that community doing? What's those community issues where you re so I try to stay involved in the markets that I, I work. Right. And, um, and the local where's the politics, growth? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's I mean, going to be mayor? Who's going to be, who's gonna be mayor, right? That's a big one, right? And the issues like City of Westfield is council, right? City council. That's a big conversation that I think this whole city of Indianapolis knows all about because right. Westfield yeah. can't get, figure out between the mayor and the council. And so, you know, those are the things that I kind of try to stay apprised on of what's the local market. I'm a big local news guy. National, I'll get, I have to follow sure. that, but that's easy. Yeah. Yeah. How depressing do you really want to be? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are you streaming right now? What is, what is, and this is, these are personal too, right? So what are you on weekends, I'm, maybe we maybe streamed during COVID. You really loved it. That's what, what I'm trying to that? find. I'm like really excited for this podcast. Cause I've been really struggling to find that right thing. You know, my wife and I kind of escape sometimes when we were on long, longer trips with those like murder mysteries, you know, oh, sure, yeah. yeah, those are the fun ones. Uh, you know, just cause I, when I do it, I'm trying to get a break. Right. It's the refresh, right? Hit that refresh button. Um, and that's what I don't do enough of. 
yeah. Um, yeah. some of that stuff. What are you reading right now? Yeah, me? Well, tell me. Besides, yeah, dinosaurs no. love tacos. Well, I, I mean, that's a lot of a kids yeah. kind of control my television yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> control. I'm reading a lot of, uh, yeah. I think uni, the unicorn is like my daughter's number one book right now. There you go. <laughs> so oh. it, go buy it on Amazon. Yeah. Do I- <laughs> I'm, willing to put, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Right. So <laughs> right now I read, I've been going through different phases. So I'll go through periods of reading a lot of fiction and then reading a lot of nonfiction. Okay. Right now I'm reading a nonfiction book called Tokyo vice. It's by a um, American reporter, one of the first American reporters for a Japanese national newspaper in Japan. And it's about his coverage of the police beat in Tokyo covering the Yakuza. Hmm. It was made into an HBO series. I watched the HBO series yeah. first. It's a mini series on HBO called Vice. That's how you got into it. Okay. And then I, I like, picked you pick up the this? book. <laughs> I picked up the book. Gotcha. And then the other book I read before this which was also made into an HBO miniseries. You see a theme here, mm-hmm. but it's called station 11. Oh, isn't that the show I told you to watch? You told me to watch it. You guys quit on it. Scott continued. Scott I, or Scott I quit. Continued. So you quit. I quit. I you shouldn't quitter. have quit. I know. By um, her name. Her last name is Mandel. I forget her first name. It is about, it was written in 2015. Get this but it's about a global pandemic and what life was like afterwards, wiping out 90% of the population. And Mm. when you watch the HBO show, it's eerie because we just lived that. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that's why I quit. Cause it was like a little too close to home home. and like it could potentially be a real life situation. So she wrote a really good book and I read another one of hers recently. Um, but those are what I've kind of re- I've read through recently, and I got a bunch more on my nightstand. I bought a lot of pu- recent Pulitzer and Newbery Prize and others recently, just fiction. I've been really into a lot of fiction, just expanding my mind a little bit. Um, but then I go through periods of nonfiction. Uh, Podcast-wise, I listen to two podcasts religiously, right? One is The Compound and Friends. It is a finance podcast. Um and then I listen to uh, Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg every week, almost every Saturday morning. Um, and then looking here, you know, I listen to, you know, the Wall Street Journal Daily News Update, right. the normal stuff right. in the car that's, that's on the commute. Just to, and then music-wise right now, I am really big in the new DJ Khaled uh, album, God <laughs> Did. It, seriously, check it out. The beats check are out. banging. like. DJ Khaled, another one. It is awesome. You're, so, you're going to keep me there. cool. I, I'm so out of cool, obviously. <laughs> Andrew's not cool. I'm but, not cool. You know, but I, we'll try. Paige knows I like I just want to know how you're finding all this time with your two little kids. I know. That's what I'm like. I'm like, if you ask me this, I'll be like, in the car, I listen so Paige, to silence. Let, let, yeah, you probably enjoy right, that. Because you, I have two kids under two. So when I am by myself in the car, literally nothing is on and it's joyful because it's not mommy mommy it's nothing. mommy <laughs> it's not that it's not coca melon it's nothing oh, it's just i know it's just silent um so and i don't have free time to read i'm like truly the escaping of bravo tv turn you, my brain off you are like queen of bravo tv yeah I can so what's talk. your go-to bravo tv show any real housewife uh bachelor in paradise now i'm gonna sound like the ditzy girl no, on the podcast, no you're great but, keep it going <laughs> you know yeah well, and the other thing, and Andrew, you and I know this, AFC North football. Yeah. Except for when uh, the Steelers are so bad that 
the literally turn off the television. They're like, "Hey, we're going to go to a much better game." I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Never had that in my entire <laughs> life. Typically, we're the channel that they're going to the Steelers game. <laughs> right, right. It is a rebuilding year. <laughs> Granted, you guys had two. You know, you had a great run with Ben. Let's rebuild some coaching. Let's. Just, I mean, You're I'm not, I'm not a believer in Kenny Pickett. I will say, I'm a believer. Small hands. Uh, small hands. All right. I'm I'm for him. You can't. I mean, he came out. You know, he just got thrown to the Bills. I mean, that's a not an easy place on the road. First, you know, first time no, to start. I all. never thought Mitch Trubisky was ever a good decision. I thought that was a waste of time and energy. We should got rid of Mason Rudolph basically after he took a helmet to the head because that's the only thing good he could do on uh, a football yeah. field. Um, but hey, you know. I'm also kind of got out of the NFL, you know, during the whole like drama of the NFL oh. mm-hmm. college ball, man, good tigers, Clemson tigers. I knew you were going <laughs> to throw a Clemson reference. In I there. had to, right? I, I mean, that's and again with kids, you know, I got two and a four year old. So for me, my, pick one, right? Pick I can't one. watch football Saturday and all yeah. Sunday. My no. wife would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> my wife, we have an agreement. 16, 16 Sundays. I get to watch my Browns and be disappointed. <laughs> And that's and it. hasn't that been the last we two months, two weeks? Pre- teach them. That's true. It does help with boys because they are into it, you know, uh, even at a very young age. But, you know, it's just the one thing with my wife. She knows that's like my 16. It's not, I told her it's not baseball. We're not dealing with 82 game season. Mm-hmm. It's like the NBA. It's 16 Sundays where I get to either be wonderfully elated or most of the time I am really disappointed and sad. <laughs> And it's like, like the, joy to be the around. story of a brown. <laughs> well, it's, and yeah. this year is not disappointing. Yeah. No. Yeah. This year. Is How many this times weird, have you lost uh, in the last 30 seconds already? Too many times this year. Let's just put it that way. And that's the thing. Like for a Browns fan, like my Sundays would not be normal if I didn't start off hopeful, <laughs> excited. I put on my Bernie Kosar or my Eric Metcalf jersey or my Jim Brown. I have all the throwbacks because why buy new, these new players? Because they won't be around for very long. I've learned that over the last 20 <laughs> mm-hmm. years. I watch the game and we start off strong, right? We always we usually start pretty good and we're in it. And then it falls apart in the fourth quarter. And this has been like this for my whole life. And, you know, then it's Sunday night, right? And I have to go to work the next day. And I get the Sunday scaries kind of creeping in because you start mm-hmm. getting anxious and your team just lost and you're dreading having to talk about it with your coworkers and kind of reliving the horror. That feels normal to me, you know, in a lot of ways. And so I come in, I'm usually very grumpy. Paige knows this on Monday. I'm very grumpy because of all those factors. Now she understands a little bit more, but yeah. You know, we paid a quarter of a billion dollars to a guy who's now sitting on the sidelines in Cleveland, probably under supervision. So we keep him away from masseuses. We will see what happens. Maybe he comes back and saves us. Maybe not. Hey, he won Clemson a national championship, beat Alabama. So, hey, we have that in common. So go Tigers, I guess. Right? <laughs> hey, for me, for the daughters, like. Clemson's got purple. My daughter loves purple. So go. it's like, now she loves the figure, the tiger paws. So she's actually starting to like it. realize it. Um, so if I'm going to teach her anything, I'm going to teach her college ball. Cause you know, just it's more fun. Yeah. I think personality yeah. wise. And I think just overall, like the atmosphere is more exciting. Whereas like when you get in the NFL, you kind of get this like true rival, like, right. Like, I don't know. When you're in college, college ball has just anything could happen, right? It's a little bit more nostalgic. You know, even Alabama has a chance to lose. Yeah, because it's so loosey goosey. Yeah. That's the thing I hate about the college ball is because it is loosey goosey. 
That's see, that's there's what I love about where it. It's like anything can happen. Ball. I yeah. mean, even my tigers can look really bad and really stress me out against Wake Forest. Right. Right. Or Elon. Do they even have a football team? <sighs> yes, we have a football okay. team. <laughs> I I don't <laughs> think I went to more than one game. I gotcha. Uh, it was like tailgate and then bar. But <laughs> they have a good baseball and soccer women's soccer. Oh. Well, good to know. That's a sport everyone loves to watch. Yeah. It's true. Which is a great thing I'm excited about for talk about future uh, for a city of Indianapolis. New soccer. soccer. That's right. Indy 11. I think that new facility is really going to help drive that activity over on the West side. Entertainment. Entertainment driven. Experience. Experience. And then all the things that can go around it and then heads and beds. That's right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, Andrew. Thank you for coming on as our inaugural guest. Thank you to my executive producer, Paige O'Neill, kind of keeping she everything rocked. organized. <laughs> I'm trying to find the applause button, but I don't remember which one it is. I don't know. Let's just guess here, and then Chris can always edit it out. I think the buttons are broke. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pretty buttons. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. This has been Urban Foundry. Thank you to our executive producer and audio wizard, Chris Spangle at leadersandlegends.net. Also, thank you to my co-host and producer, Paige O'Neill. And finally, thank you to Colliers International for providing us space to use as our recording studio in downtown Indianapolis. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.